With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Tonight, uh, it's been a little bit of, of a break for us, and so we're jumping right back in with college basketball, the, the men's basketball team specifically tonight. Um, I do have Fetch joining us in just a minute here. Um, just, a, just a couple quick notes before we get over to that. Obviously, there was a lot a lot to, uh, to cover. We did try to just kind of condense it, um, just given the fact that there was so many games to talk about, um, but some of them had happened so long ago, so... Um, Tonight's episode is a little bit shorter than, than we typically have them, um, partly just a, a scheduling issue um, and on also a, t- a technical equipment type issue. So, um, But we still did kind of cover everything. We look ahead a little bit. So um, the other the other note as well, um, we are we are actually looking in, in talks right now with a with a podcast network that's going to potentially have some some other plugs for other podcasts or other things like that that we're going to partner with. So um, we, we have gone ahead and. Uh, you will notice that we actually do go to a commercial break here in the middle. Um, at this point, it's probably just going to be filled with music because I don't have anything set up yet. Um, but that is going to be something moving forward. So, um, you know, just so you guys are aware, moving forward, we are going to have just small commercial breaks in here in the middle of our interviews. So um, something to look forward to. I didn't want to catch you guys completely by surprise, but I will go ahead and get you guys right on over to the interview that we have with Fetch. And I'm joined now once again by Steve Fetch. Fetch, how you doing tonight? Hey, good. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So it's been a little while since we talked. Obviously, scheduling issues around the holidays have made that a little difficult. Um, but so we've, we've had four games happen since the last time we actually chatted. Uh, we had the the win against Villanova at home, the win against South Dakota, uh, the loss at Arizona State, and then the last win that we had against Eastern Michigan. We had a little bit of everything in those games, you know. That that first game in the field over was exercising demons against a, a really good team. Um, the, the blowout against South Dakota was that good blowout that we've really been wanting to see. The loss at Arizona State, the first true road test, um, but a, a difficult game where finally I think everything kind of caught up to them. And then that blowout against Eastern Michigan, uh, which was probably the the best you could hope for in the return of Yudoka Azubuke. So I, I don't want to go through each one individually, but I, I kind of want to get your overall general thoughts um, about those particular games. Was there anything that stood out from those games, anything that you're either worried about or excited about moving forward? Sure. I think uh, first just to tackle that Arizona State game, um, kind of a, a theme that I think has happened throughout the years that Kansas gets up by a, a certain amount of points and then tends to act like the game uh, is somewhat in hand. Uh, you saw that when they, they took a decent lead against Arizona State. Um, I, I got a, yeah, I got a tweet from, uh, at Audacity of Hoops. His name's David Hess. He's a, a really good basketball writer, um, and really good follow on, on Twitter. 
said that Kansas had a, an average lead of six throughout that game, and I can't remember what the exact win percentage of teams that have that average lead, but it was really, really high. And so to see Kansas lose a game, uh, especially late when they're so good at executing, um, was pretty surprising. Although I will say uh, it does seem like Bill Self, down two with that last possession, wanted to drop a, a three-pointer for the win when you consider how good Dieter Clausen was, maybe getting it to him and, and getting into overtime. You think Kansas maybe pulls that game out, but it, it seems like he wasn't really interested uh, in going into overtime. But um, like I said, that was that was the thing that stood out. They just didn't really play well down the stretch. They had multiple turnovers. Um, ironically, they played pretty good defense. I mean, they made Arizona State take a lot of tough shots, and, and Arizona State just made them. And sometimes you have to just tip your cap and, and live with that. But the execution on the other end was was sorely lacking. Um, and then the other thing uh, that stood out over the last couple of weeks was, yeah, like you said, the the reemergence or the the reappearance of Yudoka Azubuki. Obviously, he had an incredible game against Eastern Michigan, um, which isn't a, a great team, but they do have more size than kind of your average MAC team. So really impressive to see him come back. Uh, had eight dunks in the game, um, <laughs> ten of thirteen uh, from two. So just right back to to where he uh, was before he got hurt. Um, and I think one thing to watch going forward is how that's going to impact Dieter Clausen because obviously his scoring was down, although he did lead the team with five assists. So certainly his overall play wasn't impacted too much. Yeah, I mean, Dieter Clausen, you know, I, I looked up and, and looked at the box score at that point and was a little a little worried the fact that he, he, he didn't score in double digits, which I think is the first time the entire year that he hasn't scored in double digits. Um but you, you look at everything else that he had done, you know, his, his assist numbers were a lot higher than I think we're, we typically see them. Um, and he was definitely having like a defensive impact. It's not that he completely went away. It's He was a little bit off shooting. He only shot two of eight. Um, but also this was like a get Doke back into the offense type of game where everything was running through Doke. Um, you know, it was it was an opportunity for him to kind of have his his coming out party. The other thing too is that Dijek only played 22 minutes. Um, you know, he he didn't he didn't have a lot of opportunities in terms of, of scoring because he wasn't really in there for most of the game. And a lot of that I think had to do with trying to get Doke back. Some of it was was foul trouble, and then also the fact that you know once you get up by 20 points, it's not like there's a big incentive to keep him in the game for very long. So, um, you know, he didn't he didn't play a lot towards the end. Obviously, by that point we. We had plenty of time uh, to get some of those those end of the bench players some time in the game. So um, I wouldn't read too much into the the performance from Dietrich Lawson in that first one. I wouldn't even you know think of a, oh well Doke's back so he's not going to get as many opportunities. I think it was just a, a combination of he had an off night. Um, you know they really wanted Doke to get going, and they were blowing out an opponent that there wasn't really a threat of that opponent coming back. So. Um, there's really nothing I think to read too much into that. Yeah, and, um, and I think the other thing too is you know he's a lot better passer in there than Azubuki is, so kind of the natural flow of things is going to be a little bit more passes from Diedrich to Azubuki versus uh, the other way around. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I'm not uh, I'm not worried about it um, at all. You know, he only took eight shots, uh, which is probably fewer than you'd like. But like you said, he didn't play a ton because why would you? Uh, risk injury in that game and obviously the um, intensity level just isn't there when you're beating a team as badly as they were which you saw quite a bit in the second half there so yeah definitely uh, not worried about him at all um, I am a little uh, worried it probably isn't the right word but maybe 
concerned or interested to see how they deal with the spacing between Azubuki and, and Lawson because obviously things get a little cluttered down low, which I think impacts Azubuki a little bit more than it does Diedrich Lawson because Lawson's a, a better ball handler and can pull it out and shoot it and, and obviously draw fouls uh, at an elite level. But Azubuki seems to kind of need that one-on-one matchup really to score. So I'm a little interested to see how playing them both together for long stretches impacts them throughout the course of the season. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely... I guess curious would be the best way to describe that um, because you're right. I mean, it didn't make much of a difference here, but a lot of that I think has to do with the athletes that were inside um, playing against Oklahoma, I think will give us a little bit of a better view on how that's going to work with the spacing. Um, but, but, you know, I will say while, while Diedrich had more room to operate down low when, when Doak wasn't in there, I think it also gave him a little bit more confidence and kind of helped him, I guess, really to kind of look more, um, towards being able to pass, you know, getting fed the ball in the post and then being able to pass out of it. Um, he had to do that a lot when t- people were what could only, you know, key in on him. Having Doak means that he's not automatically going to get double teamed when the ball comes into him. So he's going to have more room to operate, either to k- kick the ball back out to people, to try to take a dribble or two. They won't have to come nearly as far to help off of Yudoka if they decide to. Um, but having a guy like Yudoka down low gives him a much closer person to pass to to try to dump it off and, and get the quick assist. So it opens up a lot more possibilities. It does kind of affect the spacing. But I also think it was good practice because there are going to be times, you know, Doak only played, only played 20 minutes. And even if they hadn't pulled most of the starters out, I doubt he would have played more than about 25 in that game. They don't want to, you know, they didn't want to push him coming back. But that's kind of been his his average anyway. Um the last couple of seasons is, you know, he doesn't play a lot of minutes. A lot of that's foul trouble. Some of that stamina, I think. Um, but he's a very impactful player when he's in, but he's not in for more than about 25 minutes a game. So they definitely needed that, you know, that practice of, you know, how can we be most efficient when we don't have Yudoka Azubuke in the game? Um, it opens up a ton more possibilities. It's definitely something to be excited about going into conference play. Um, any other takeaways from those games? I, I was looking at the numbers for some of the other guys. Um, I don't I don't know if LeGerald Vick's numbers are kind of a continuation of him slumping a little bit. Um, you know, he, he had 14 points against Arizona State. Um, that was on, let me see, 5 of 16 shooting, including 3 of 11 from, th- th- from the three-point line. Um you know, he, against South Dakota, he only scored 12. Um, he played the most minutes out of anybody at 33, uh, but that was on 5 of 12 shooting. Like, it's not it's not anything that's super, like, sticking out really bad as, as a horrible sign. Um, but even in this last game, you know, he, um, Gerald, let me see, he was 2 of 7, only had 4 points, didn't make a single 3. Like, do we need to be worried about him, especially coming up, against a team like Oklahoma, or is this just kind of, you know, him going through his natural, uh, I guess, streaks that he has? Yeah, I'm I'm not worried, both because, uh, one, I wasn't really expecting him to do what he did early in the season. I mean, obviously no one's going to do that, but even uh, any kind of approximation of that throughout the season. And then, two, last year you saw him go up and down. Obviously he disappeared for long stretches of Big 12 play after a, a nice start uh, to the non-conference season, and then he picked it back up again in the Big 12 and NCAA tournaments. So I think he'll definitely 
turn things around. One thing about him is I think it's probably just due to his uh, shooting motion being a little bit of a, a slingshotty type motion, and, and he, he jumps pretty high uh, when he shoots it as well, which leads to kind of some um, inconsistent shooting numbers. So when it's on, he is really, really shooting it. When it's not, um, certainly it looks a lot worse. And so I think that that's going to have a, a pretty big impact on his performance and his overall numbers. So I'm not terribly worried. I do like the fact that it doesn't really seem to be uh, affecting his confidence. He's not spiraling into taking bad shots. Uh, he's trying to pass the ball and getting his teammates involved. Still trying hard on defense. So I think you can kind of live with some bad uh, efforts from three if he's going to give you uh, the rest of the stuff. Um, the other thing that I, I wanted to touch on real quick was uh, Quentin Grimes' game uh, against Eastern Michigan. Obviously, he didn't come out and, and dominate, but uh, did have a really nice game with those 16 points and, and a couple of assists as well. Um, two for four from three, which was nice to see, and, and the two that he missed uh, weren't way off, um, which is nice. Uh, obviously, he's not, I don't think, um, where he's going to be at the end of the year, but they're going to need him to start getting better now that the Big 12 season's starting because um, I, I don't really know how they're going to have quite enough scoring punch uh, without him um, operating at a, at a high level. You know, they've got Dietrich Lawson, obviously, um, obviously Azubuki. Uh, Devin Dotson chips in. You, you're going to have the insane Lajerald Vic games, but I really think they need uh, Quentin Grimes to to keep playing like this and and even better uh, than he did on Saturday uh, in order for Kansas to kind of get to where it needs to be by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a small step forward, but uh, considering the the opponent that they were playing, I don't know how much you can actually read into that. I mean, it was nice. He he was two of two from twos. Uh, so he, he made all of his two-point attempts, he made half of his three-point attempts, and he was perfect from the foul line, 6-6. Six to six. So, um, you know, I, I honestly, he, other than Azubuke, who they were consciously feeding, like, he, he had the best performance, I think, um, of any other player, just in terms of production-wise. Um, you know, I, I, again, it was against an Eastern Michigan team that is not really going to be good at all. Um, and so... I, I don't know how much we can actually read into it, but yeah, he definitely has to keep improving um, in conference play. He doesn't need to have it right away, but he does have to keep improving for them to really have any legitimate shot at, at hitting the ceiling that we know that they can, or that they, that we hope that they can hit. So the other guy I wanted to talk about before we move on to looking forward was Devon Dotson. Um, you know, he didn't have a spectacular run of games, the Villanova game. Um, you know, he had 11 points. Uh, a decent shooting, um, but he didn't really do a lot that I'm used to seeing from him in that Villanova game. Um, and now, granted, I may just not admit I've been watching him as closely as I typically do, um, but there wasn't really that wow moment in the Villanova game. The, the South Dakota game again. He, you know, he did. He scored eight points. Um, was still was still doing pretty well, although his assists were were really really good in that game. Like that's where I actually noticed it. But he he played fairly well down in down at Arizona State, um, and then the game that he had, you know, he was probably honestly I would probably put him as the second most important player in that game against Eastern Michigan, um, even though he he scored fifteen points, which was behind both Udoka and Grimes. He was facilitating a lot. He was getting things moving. 
Um, he really was driving the offense the way that we have come to expect him to. Um, so I think overall he had about what we've expected from him. Um, are you, are you, I mean, was, was there anything about his game that stood out one way or another in terms of, you know, either he's continuing to improve or maybe kind of plateauing a little bit from where he, from the tra- trajectory he was taking since, since the beginning of the year? Well, one thing that I don't really think I notice while I'm watching, but just kind of looking at the numbers, it becomes a little bit more apparent. He has a, a higher turnover rate than an assist rate, which is something that really I think needs to change. Um, I think it's more he's turning it over a little bit too much. His assist rate is, is really low as well. But um, I think that the turnovers, um, although now that I think about it, a lot of his turnovers are kind of in the open floor, which you want him to be aggressive and stuff like that. So I'm going to revise my take on the fly here and say that he probably needs to get even more aggressive um, and kind of look to pass the ball for easy baskets a little bit more, look to drive and kick for open threes a little bit more. And then his shooting numbers have, have been incredible. Um, 57% from two, 44% from three. Those are kind of numbers that make me think, hey, he probably needs to shoot the ball even more than he is. And obviously Kansas wants to get the ball inside first, but um, he's a really good three-point shooter, uh, really good at, at getting to the rim, uh, really good at shooting at the rim when he gets there. And, and like I said, that's going to open up a lot of drive and kick stuff, which will then open up more drive and kick stuff, even if the three-pointers aren't falling. So uh, definitely a, a guy who I think is still going to improve, uh, even though he's been really, really good, uh, been getting better and better defensively, both on and off the ball, which is really encouraging. So I definitely see big things ahead for, for Dotson for sure. Yeah, and the crazy thing is, you know, you look at his at his stats, and actually Ken Palm will break it down by, you know, his his overall stats, and then break it down like the tier A, which is the highest group there, um, and then tier A plus B. He actually is performing a lot better against the toughest competition that they have um, than he is against against just in general, um, which is which is a little surprise. Although although with the exception of his turnover rates are are quite a bit higher. Um, he's, he's at 25.7% just against that, that tier A as opposed to 21.2% overall. Um, you know, and so, or I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, that, I think that is percentage. It's, it's the, the number of turnovers, I believe out of a hundred, but his three point shooting is a lot better against that, those better teams. I'm wondering if one, it, it is small sample size, obviously. Um, but I'm wondering if that's at least partly driven by the fact that those, those bigger teams are having to worry more about, um, about what's going on down low. Um, you know, I mean, some of these smaller teams like Eastern Michigan, things like that are, are honestly um, having to sell out more to stop the three point because they already know that they're, they really can't compete down low. Like we, we saw that against East, East Eastern Michigan. Um, you know, they were, they were really guarding the three point line a whole lot more than the inside. Cause they couldn't really match up inside with Udoka. Um, and so they would they would try to go for steals. They would try to disrupt passing lanes and stuff like that, and not necessarily so much bodying up in the middle. Um, and so that that caused I you know I, I don't know if that's this is enough to explain all of it, but it definitely seems like the lower level competition is much more focused on trying to mess with the point guards or the guards um, rather than trying to get down low. So that might explain some of it. But it is definitely encouraging that he seems to be playing a lot better in the bigger games than he does overall. Um, all right. So any other thoughts about any of these games or any of the guys before we move on and, and, and look ahead? 
No, I think we can we can go ahead and uh, say goodbye to the non-conference, and let's go ahead and, and look ahead to the Big 12 season. Sounds like a plan. We will go ahead and do that, but real quick, we're going to go ahead and just take a quick break. We, we will be right back on the Rock Talk podcast. All right, and we're back. So, Fetch, we uh, we, we kind of teased it before the break. Um, we are going to go ahead and look ahead. We're mainly going to focus, I think, on this Oklahoma game. Uh, we're going to try to have another podcast, I think, before the end of the week when we play um, at Iowa State. Um, we, we can touch briefly on that one just in case we're not able to get back for another podcast before then. But I do want to focus kind of on this Oklahoma game. I think Oklahoma seems to be, I would call them probably our surprise team so far. Uh, I don't think anyone really expected them to be playing as well as they are. And they seem to be playing, um, well, I mean, they, they are, let's see, they are 11 and one, the only loss coming, um, on a neutral court to Wisconsin. Uh, they did have to go to overtime to beat Northwestern, but Northwestern, you know, is is a decent team this year. So it's not like, and and it was at Northwestern. So, so first of all, what are your overall impressions of Oklahoma itself, um, and how worried are you that they're going to be one of those contenders for the for the you know trying to to see what they can do to to slow down Kansas and maybe be a surprise contender for the second spot in the conference. I think as far as kind of their long-term outlook, I think they're probably not at the level of, say, an Iowa State or a Texas Tech, uh, just for a couple of reasons. One, they seem to um, – their backcourt probably isn't good enough uh, to carry them uh, until the end of the season. Um, they've got a couple of grad transfers uh, in their backcourt. Miles Reynolds transfer from Pacific, uh, and then Aaron – I believe it's – Kalixti is how you pronounce it. I could be wrong. Um, he's a grad transfer from Maine. And so, yeah, they're, they're seniors, uh, which is nice, but they're also guys who are transferring from uh, very low-level programs and, and weren't great at those programs either. It's not like we're talking about a, a Mike Dom at a South Dakota State coming in and transferring. I mean, these guys who were these are guys who are pretty average players at, at not very good programs. So you don't really expect a, a backcourt like that to, to carry Oklahoma to a Big 12 title. Uh, the other thing is their defense uh, allows a ton of threes, and they've gotten a, a little bit lucky in terms of um, those teams making said threes. But uh, I do think that their defense is somewhat for real. Uh, they don't allow guys to to get to the free throw line. They're a, a really good uh, at defending inside the arc, um, and those are, are two really important things, obviously. Now, they, they don't turn the ball, or they don't force a lot of turnovers, uh, and I think you can probably rebound them, rebound on them a little bit. They haven't played, uh, faced a lot of teams with size this year so far. So, um, maybe Kansas can, can get some offensive rebounds with Azubuki and Dietrich Lawson. And, um, as, as good as Oklahoma is at avoiding sending teams to the line, it, it's a little bit tough to do that when you've got Yudoka Azubuki down there dunking on you all the time and, and Dietrich Lawson, who's a, an elite, uh, foul drawer. So that's something that's going to test them as well. Um, the other thing I guess just to point out is, is I think that they, um, are due for a little bit of positive regression. You know, Brady Manick is shooting, I believe last time I checked, yeah, under 33%, uh, from three of this year. And he was obviously a, a really good shooter for them last year. Now he doesn't have Trey Young taking a lot of the attention from the defense. So that's probably going to result in some, some tougher shots. So maybe he's not going to be a, a high 30% shooter this year, but you certainly expect him to have some, really nice games, which he, he kind of hasn't had yet uh, this year, but I was really impressed with him as a player last year. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, a thing where, you know, like you said, they've only lost to Wisconsin. Really, they've only played Wisconsin and Florida. Those are the only really, really good teams that they've played. 
So um, Kansas is probably their biggest test this year, given that it's going to be at Allen Fieldhouse. So I definitely like Kansas to win, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it's a little bit closer than maybe some people are expecting. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that we are really in um, danger of losing this game just because, you know, having having Doak back, he's going to be fairly fresh. He had a really good, you know, start. The other thing that a lot of people and I, I heard one national guy kind of talk about this just briefly, um, but it you know the last time that Oklahoma State or I'm sorry the last time that Oklahoma played in a game was before Christmas. Uh, it was that that Northwestern game on December 21st. Um, so they have a huge layoff here uh, before, you know, we're talking about 12 days, almost two full weeks between games, which is not really a good thing uh, when you're trying to prepare, especially for, for a team as good as Kansas. They are going to be a little bit rusty. I would expect them to get off to a slow start. Um, this is going to be one of those games where it's going to be important to see you know, if if KU can get a big lead to start and consistently keep pushing it or do they let their foot off the gas. Um, the one thing I will note here, you actually talked about uh, how, how they're they're giving up so many three point attempts, but actually, um, you know, it looks like on defense, they're only uh, teams are only shooting, or I'm sorry, are shooting 38.9 percent of their three point attempt or of, of their field goal attempts are are three point attempts. It's right around the average nationally, um, so they're ranked 181st. It's not like it's not like teams aren't shooting against them. Um, but it's not like teams are really trying to shoot against them a lot. And and they're doing better than average, barely, um, on three-point percentage. So it looks like overall they're about where you would expect your average team to be on three-point. So it's not like they they have a bunch of three-point luck that's ranking into their defense. Um, really, it's it looks like it's just the fact that, um, you know, they're only allowing about 41% from two, um, which is really what's driving their defensive numbers. They have the eighth-ranked defense according to Ken Palm um, at 90.1 is, is their defensive efficiency, which is actually really, really good. And so, you know, I, again, I think, I think a decent amount of that has to do with the opponent. I know that while, while Ken Palm and all that is supposed to adjust for the opponents, it's still, I, you know, we, 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 we've talked about this in terms of like Wichita state or other teams that don't play a very, very good schedule at the beginning um, you know, it's it potentially has a chance to overweight some of their performances, and I think we're seeing a little bit of that here with Oklahoma. I do expect their defense to kind of come back to the pack a little bit, um, but they are definitely playing a little bit better, or quite a bit better than I thought that they would at this point. Um, they also do not—they're not really good at at. Uh, or I'm sorry, they're really good at not sending people to the free throw line, um, whereas Kansas is decent at getting to the free throw line, but, but nothing special. So I, I could see this being a, a kind of low, low foul type of game. Um, unless Kansas is really kind of pushing it inside and trying to draw fouls and doing everything that they possibly can to get them. If that's the approach that Bill Self takes, um, you know, I could see them potentially getting Oklahoma in foul trouble, but in general, just the way that these two teams play, that's not really one of the big concerns for either of these teams. I'm expecting this to be kind of an up-tempo game. Both of these both of these teams push the pace quite a bit. Um, Kansas is in like the top 65 in terms of pacing, and Oklahoma is actually even faster than them. So um, these are two teams that like to attack the basket quickly. They like to have short possessions on offense. Um, they tend to play good enough defense to kind of stop the opponents, and, and so the opponents are, are taking a little bit longer. 
uh, actually quite a bit longer than than is customary. But with, with two teams that like to push the pace, I do expect to see an up and down game for at least at least a good portion of it. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little surprised. Uh, the the Ken Palm prediction is 78-70 Kansas. Uh, I believe when I looked, Kansas was like an eight-point favorite most recently, and I want to say the over-under was like 141 points or something like that, uh, which I think is actually kind of low. Um, I, I saw online conversation. You were you were talking with a few of the other guys over at Rock Chalk Talk um, about the, the, the betting on this about how you would probably go ahead and go with Oklahoma on the line. Um, are, you, are you expecting that that line of about eight to kind of hold, or, or do you think that Oklahoma is going to be able to push it a little bit closer than that? Uh, yeah, Hi- hypothetically, I would uh, take them to win, or take, yeah, take Kansas to win by fewer than eight points if I were in Las Vegas and that were legally oh, uh, of, of acceptable course, to course, do. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right in that, well – so they are probably going to play a, a little bit faster um, than I think maybe people are anticipating because you don't really expect a team with Diedrich Lawson and, and uh, Yudoke Azubuki to run up and down the floor. But with Devin Dotson and, and some of their athletes, I think that they're going to want to get up and down a little bit. And I think Oklahoma is going to want to push the pace as well just to keep Kansas, which has quietly had a, a very good defense themselves, uh, keep them from getting set on defense and maybe tiring out uh, the aforementioned Lawson and Azubuki. But that being said, I, I do think that the defenses uh, for both these teams are a little bit ahead of the offenses right now, which is probably going to draw uh, drive the scoring down uh, a little bit. So I'm going to stay away from uh, the old over-under, uh, hypothetically. But I do uh, think that Kansas will win a, a little a narrow one, maybe by, by five or so would kind of be what I'm feeling. Yeah, I mean – as is usually the case, the only thing that, that could really mess with that would be just free throw shooting at the end of the game. If Doak's not in there trying to make free throws, um, Kansas can go ahead and push it quite a bit at the end based off of that. The other thing I will say, though, in terms of running, um, you know, th- the fact that both Doak and Lawson have actually run in the past, like, you know, they have big guys that are good about getting down the floor very, very quickly. Um, so, even if they're not both going down there every single time, if we get into a fast break situation, I wouldn't be surprised to kind of see them alternate in terms of trying to get down there um, or, you know, just being able to, to, to move with the fast break. So, you know, I don't think, I don't think in any way having both of those guys on the floor prevents them from getting out on the fast break consistently. Um, they both can get down the floor. They've done it in the past. Um, you know, some of the biggest moments last year were surprises when Doak was, ahead of the fast break that was coming from, from, uh, you know, from, uh, from Graham or, or from Svee. So, you know, it's not, it's not like they can't run. I, I wouldn't expect them obviously to do it all game long, but this is a very fast paced offense and they definitely have the ability to get down there quite quickly. So, all right. Any other final thoughts on, on Oklahoma or on the start of the big 12 play? Yeah, I guess just one one quick one uh, on the start of the Big 12 play. I was taking a look at their early schedule. Uh, I noticed they play Iowa State twice in their first uh, seven games, which I think kind of uh, benefits Kansas because Iowa State is still um, reintegrating uh, some of their better players uh, into the game. You saw uh, Lindell Wigginton. Uh, I think he still only played the two games this year. Um, yeah, he played uh, their first game of the season and then their most recent one against Eastern Illinois. So obviously they're going to have to reintegrate him into the lineup and and he's their best player. And so I think that that's something that 
uh, Kansas can maybe take advantage of. Um, getting to play them early, uh, maybe they can um, get them while they're still kind of finding themselves a little bit and maybe get a win or, or even two. Um, I, I guess I wouldn't discount their ability to win at Ames, um, given that they have won there, I think, fairly often in the last few years. I mean, obviously they've lost as well, but I think they've done a little bit better than you would expect uh, in Ames the last few years. So maybe they can get off to a little bit of a rolling start here and, and maybe um, maybe not put it out of reach, but but maybe build a, a pretty good lead here through the first half of the season. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that they, they get the advantage of playing in Ames early in the year, um, not only because obviously it's still winter break and so the students won't be back, but also, like you were saying, Wigginton's still kind of getting back into the swing of things. Um, they have had a lot of injury issues and have actually done fairly well considering. And so, you know, it's definitely definitely something you can be impressed by with them, but I also, um, it definitely helps us, the fact that they, you know, they have to um, use essentially their, their, their home game against Kansas so early. Kansas is definitely the much better prepared team for that. I'm not saying that I, you know, I think that Kansas is a shoe-in, definitely going to win there, but they definitely have a really good shot. Um, right now, it looks like Ken Palm has that projected as a 50-50 game with Kansas probably pulling out the win. Um, I do think that if Kansas has a really good game here against Oklahoma, that that's probably going to change a little bit. Um, you know, I, I'm definitely looking at Iowa State as probably the second or third best team in the Big 12 this year, especially once they get going and once the you know they get everybody back in and, and up to speed. But um, they are going to have a rough go of it, I think, at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, just because they, they play they play at Oklahoma State, then they play KU at home, then they go to Baylor, then they play K-State at home, then they go to Texas Tech. That's their first five. Um, it's quite possible that, you know, especially since Oklahoma, I mean, Oklahoma State's the lowest, I believe, ranked of all the Big 12 teams, but they're still a decent team and having to play them on the road um, could be a struggle for them. So, I, I mean... I could potentially see Iowa State starting out at like one and four um, in those first five games. And, you know, it'd be difficult, I think, for them to come all the way back to contend for the Big 12 title at that point. So um, this is going to be a crucial stretch for them at the very beginning. Um, and, and unfortunately, they, they don't have a fully healthy squad that's that's firing on all cylinders at this point. So, But it should st- definitely still be a really good game coming up on Saturday. Like I said, we're going to try to have another another episode. Um, if I can't get one with you, I'll try to get one with an Iowa state guy so we can talk about that. But, um, but yeah. And any other final thoughts on the games we've had in the last few weeks or anything coming up? No, I think we hit it. Sounds good. All right. Did you have a random sports minute for us today? Sure. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go super quick. My phone is uh, on its last legs here, but, uh, as I mentioned the last time we did this, the uh, World Junior Hockey Championships currently taking place in uh, British Columbia, Canada. They have moved into the knockout rounds. Um, the U.S. is the two seed out of their pool, which means they play uh, the Czech Republic, which was the uh, third seed out of the other pool. Um, if they beat them, then they probably have a date with Russia, uh, who actually hasn't looked... Uh, terribly impressive, so you think that they maybe have a chance at making it into that gold medal game. Um, unfortunately, the U.S. and Canada weren't in the same pool. That's kind of the, the big rivalry now. It's kind of replaced Canada versus Russia as the biggest rivalry here at the at the World Juniors. Um, Canada's on the other side uh, with uh, Sweden as the number one seed. 
Um, Sweden actually has now a, I think it's 48 game winning streak in, in pool play at the World Juniors, which is That's pretty crazy. wild. <laughs> um, and then just quickly, yeah, the U.S., I think is probably going to make it to the gold medal game. We'll see whether they play Canada or Sweden um, and how they do there. They've, they've been a little up and down. Uh, they dominated Finland last night. Uh, they were down 4 nothing to Sweden with 10 minutes left and then scored four goals in 10 minutes to send it into overtime uh, before losing in overtime. So they've kind of shown the ability to, to beat anyone and, and maybe to kind of lose to anyone. So, um, it's been pretty interesting. Um, all the games are on NHL Network if you have it, or uh, hypothetically you can find it uh, just by like Googling uh, certain language yeah, to I'm, find streams. I'm, of I'm sure. I'm sure that there's other places people can find it online if they're if they're willing to look for them. So. All right. Well, that'll go ahead and do it. Obviously, the since we did just talk about World Junior Hockey, it's a good reminder. If you haven't already, um, check out the last episode of the podcast that we did that had the uh, the interview we had with the hockey team. Um, it was definitely a, a great interview. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of ways you can get involved with the team um, and, and make sure you pay attention to that. So, um, all right, Fetch, thanks again for joining me tonight. Yeah, thanks a lot. All right. We'll catch you later. And that'll do it for tonight's episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, just a quick recap of the action that's happened. Obviously, the Eastern Michigan game for the men uh, that was on December 29th. Uh, they they obviously won that game. The women's basketball team played the day after against Vermont, again, at, at home as well. Uh, they won that game 77-36. They are off to a really, really hot start. Um, we're, we're hoping to kind of get some more coverage of them coming in soon. I'm reaching out to a few people to try to get someone on the podcast to talk, um, whether that's Jill Dorsey Hall coming back so we can talk with her again, um, or if we can find someone else related to the uh, to the women's basketball team, we might have to reach out to like Josh Klingler or someone again um, just to see if we can you know get an update on, on the women's basketball from someone who's actually able to watch um, or, or follow the team a whole lot more closely than I can from where I'm at. So um, we, we want to bring you guys that coverage. Obviously, we, we'd like to cover every single KU program that we do have as much as as possible so um, coming up we obviously have the game at Oklahoma Uh, I'm sorry the game against Oklahoma at home that's coming up Uh, that'll be later today for those of you that are are listening to this when it can when it comes out and uh, the remainder of this week obviously the men's basketball team also is playing on Saturday Um, we are playing let's see at Iowa State the women actually are playing um, against Iowa State at 1 p.m. Uh, in in Allen Fieldhouse. That is going to be on Fox Sports Network, uh, on the Jayhawk Radio Network, so you can tune into that before the game. And then at 4 p.m. is the Kansas game against, or at, at Iowa State. Um, that's 4 p.m. on ESPN2, up in Ames. Uh, we, will, we will have another episode of the podcast to, before any other action that's coming, um, but just kind of a preview of what's coming up the next week. Um, on the ninth, both the men and the women are in action again. Um, the women are at Texas Tech. The men are hosting TCU. Uh, like, like I said, we will have another episode before that, so we'll talk about those a little bit then. Um, but just to kind of keep an eye on what's on what's coming up, um, we, we we plugged it a little bit at the very end of the uh, the interview with with Fetch. But if you guys haven't already, please do what you can to catch up with the Jayhawk hockey team there on Twitter. Um, at Jayhawk Hockey, uh, they also their website is jayhawkhockey.com. 
Um, they are currently working on a fundraiser to try to help pay for the players of the team to go to nationals. Um, obviously, there's still a little bit of work to do to make sure that they can go straight to nationals and skip regionals. Um, all, all the details about that and everything you can find in our in, in a previous episode of the podcast. Um, I will go ahead and put a link to that one in the show notes as well. Um, you know, that's kind of our big push. We're huge supporters of the hockey team. I know that they don't have a lot of visibility out there. We do everything we can to try to get them. And any, honestly, any any KU program that needs that extra visi- that extra visibility, we'll do every, everything we can to get it out there. So, um, again, you know, take a look out there on their website, look at their Twitter, kind of follow them in any way that you can. Do it, anything you can to support them, whether that's getting the word out about what's going on there, um, making sure you follow the team, you know, shout outs to the team whenever you get the opportunity, or if you can financially help support the team, um, you know, obviously it's, it's a big boon for them. We, we definitely go ahead and encourage that. So um, once again, thank you guys for, for tuning in today's podcast. Uh, you can contact us on Twitter at Rock Chalk Pod. Our email address is rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com. We'd like to get any of your questions, comments, you know, any topics you want us to discuss, any of that stuff. Go ahead and send it over to us. We'll be happy to get it on the podcast. Um, you know, honestly, I'm also I'm always looking for for guests. So if there's anybody in particular you want us to try to talk to, or if you yourself have a a perspective that you want to share with us, um, definitely let me know. We we can see what we can figure out to try to get um, additional people on, even if it's for just a short you know five ten minute segment to talk about something specific that you wanted to talk about. You know if you can if you can get in touch with me with a compelling enough story of you know why like why this is something that a bunch of people would be interested in i'm definitely open to those types of ideas as well so again just please contact us with any of your thoughts questions anything um do please find us on itunes if you haven't already rate subscribe leave leave nice comments all that fun stuff five star ratings um and you know sharing are the best ways for us to get our podcast out there to get it shared with more people. So anything you guys can do that, whether it's on iTunes or any of the other podcast apps that, that, that you guys uh, get your podcast from, anything you can do to spread the word brings more eyes to the podcast, more more ears to the podcast, helps us get our message out there and helps us to interact with more people. So, And obviously, the, the more people we interact with, the better we can make the product for everybody. So again, please do whatever you can to get the word out there. We will continue to bring you the quality content that we have here. So... Um, but and, and until next time, thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.